it's so good to see you today, and welcome to Centerpoint. If you're new here, my name is John. I'm lead pastor, and I'm glad that you came this weekend. This is part two of a series called I Can Relate, and we're talking about relationships. And last week, Pastor James brought an excellent message about friendship, and today, I'm bringing a message about marriage. And so, uh, in this message on marriage, I'm definitely going to be uh, covering some mature subject matter. And so if you brought your seven-year-old, but you weren't intending on having that conversation in the car today on the way home, maybe head over to CP Kids right about now. (laughs) Might be a good choice. Uh, Otherwise, let's get into the message today. You know, I, I was thinking about message on marriage, and then I saw this article in the news, this headline caught my eye, and the headline just simply said, Wheel of Fortune contestant says he's trapped in a loveless marriage. And it's just clickbait, and I understand that, but I clicked, man. I got to know, what happened? You're going to talk to Pat Pat Sajak like that, you know? And that's exactly what happened. In the beginning of the Wheel of Fortune section where they're getting to know the contestants, this guy says, uh, yeah, my name's Blair, and I've been trapped in a loveless marriage for the last 10 years to an old battle axe named Kim. She's cursed my life with three wretched stepchildren, and I have one rotten grandchild. What? (laughs) Pat Sajak had this kind of awkward laugh, and he's like, oh, I guess that's why you came on the show. You just wanted to get away from all of those wretched people. (laughs) It was awkward. (laughs) It's kind of a funny moment. Uh, But I'm just showing you this picture because I want you to see the face of a man who might have just gone home to World War III and, and, and to remember that, right? This is a guy who made the worst of it rather than making the most of it. And uh, I I wanted to actually take some inspiration from this brother. And I usually get up here and and tell you, you know, how to make things better and how to to do life right. And I just thought, you know what, Uh, too much of the same thing can can, uh, be monotonous. I thought I'd change it up a little. And instead of bringing a message about how to do it right, I thought instead today I'd change it up and bring you a message about how to do it wrong. And so I want to teach you how to really make the worst of your marriage right now. And so this is something that, this is a message that some of what I'm sharing is inspired by uh, something I heard from Craig Groeschel and also from the words of C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters. And so uh, with that spirit, I want to just begin to give you a four-point message right now on how to ruin your marriage, how to make the worst of it. Who's ready for that message? I want you to get your pen out, take the notes, and the point number one you've got to make sure you do if you want to ruin the marriage is neglect it. Neglect your marriage. If you want to make the worst out of it, just neglect it. Don't think about your marriage as something valuable, something to treasure, and something to invest in. (laughs) No, 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 no. Forget about all that. And don't let yourself get troubled with those problem Bible verses, right? Like like Mark chapter 10, verse 6, 7, and 8, where Jesus is talking, and Jesus says, God made them male and female from the beginning of creation, and... For this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. And since they're no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. If you want to ruin your marriage, you need to ignore those words. Do not think about your marriage as something to invest in. Neglect it. Don't be a part of the things that the church does, like the living victoriously marriage class, because that would help you, and you you definitely don't want that in your life. You want to ruin it, make the worst of it, so ignore it, and definitely don't seek out any therapy or marriage counseling. I mean, that's for people who actually value their marriage, and that's not you. You're trying to ruin this thing and make the worst of it. Somebody say no men. 
Grown, grown, grown. Anyway, that's just point number one. The second point is equally important, and that is to leave God out of your relationship. Just leave God out of it. I mean, marriage is already complex. Two unique individual people. Why do you want to make it even more complicated by introducing a third person? <laughs> Leave God out of it. I know there's those troublesome Bible verses like Ecclesiastes 4.12 that compares marriage to a cord of three strands that's not easily broken. And the idea is that it's a man and his wife and God. And oh, come on, three strands? I can barely handle the two I got. I, I can't even. So just leave that third strand out altogether. Don't go to church together. Don't be worshiping together. Definitely, definitely do not pray together. Everyone say, do not pray. Mm. Yeah, yeah that's, that's definitely a step you don't want to take. And then number three, this is a secret that you need to know if you really want to ruin your marriage, and that is give your spouse the leftovers. Yeah, I mean, you got to give them something, <laughs> but make it the leftovers. Take all of your energy, all of your emotional energy, and invest it into your work, all of it. And then if there's any after that, invest it into your hobbies, and make sure you spend hours on your hobbies. And then, if you've got some energy and time, then invest it in your friends. And then, after that, if you've got some energy left, then invest it into your sports team. I mean, come on. You can't live without at least six hours a week on that game. And then, spend it on your phone. Emotional energy needs to go into this right here. Way more important than her. Oh, come on. But then, and then, if you've got any leftovers down there, any scraps, that's what you can give to your spouse. Because, come on, you want to make the worst of it. So just neglect your marriage and give your spouse the leftovers and leave God out of it. And then number four, take your spouse for granted. Take her for granted. Take him for granted. I mean, come on. They said, I do, till death do us part. So they're going to be there anyway. <laughs> Just take them for granted. And, and don't think about any of the blessings they bring into your life. Don't think about the good factors of who they are. And don't think about the way they contribute to who you are and your experience of life. Just forget about all that stuff. Instead, fixate on those things that they've done to disappoint you. Fixate on the ways they've let you down. Fixate on that one negative thing maybe the two or three, and grow that list if you can. And think about that stuff and nurse this sense of discontentment about who she is and who he is. That will really help you make the worst of it. <laughs> okay, I'm ready to be done with this little charade. In case you're wondering what in the world just happened, that's called satire. And in a sense, I'm just kind of joking and mocking, really, this, this idea of how to make the worst of it. But the truth is that in some of our marriages, some of those factors, and maybe even others that I didn't even dare touch on, have actually been part of our experience in our marriage, and it has made it worse. And I want to bring a message now about how to make the best of it and how to make the most of it. And so this is a message on marriage, and if you are married uh, and everything is good in the marriage, then Excellent. That's good. Take today as a message to provide uh, encouragement for the way that you're doing things right. For others of us where the marriage is kind of okay, maybe today this would be a message from the heart of God to say, let's make it better. It can be. And for others of us, the truth is we're in church, but our marriage is, is in trouble. 
And today, maybe just maybe, if you would take to heart some of what I share in this message and you put it into practice, you might see some progress that would take you into a better place in your married life. And so I'm praying for you that you'd be able to hear it in that way. And this message depends on the words of Jesus and you and I all understanding the heart of Jesus. And so I want to take you to the scripture in John chapter 13 verse 34, where Jesus is talking to his disciples, and if you're a follower of Jesus, by extension, he's talking to you, and this is what he says. He says in John 13, 34, he says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Now, I want you to read this from the screen out loud with me, nice and strong. Ready? Read. Read. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. So these are the words of Jesus, and he's speaking these words to the disciples, and we might hear these words and say, yeah, that, you know, that's a, that's a good word, Jesus. Those are good words to put in practice in church, you know? And we think about the words of Jesus as something relevant to church, but Jesus spoke his words as something that is relevant to our lives. And these words, yeah, they do have an immediate context being among disciples, but they also have a context for fulfillment within our families, within the person that we're married to, the person that we once upon a time made a vow to, to love and to cherish until we're separated by death. And, and so I want us to think about how Jesus loved us. And if you're here today and you're single, I want you to take this message to heart as something for future reference, either for yourself, for a possible future you might enter into, or as wisdom that you could take in to help your married friends when they come to you with their troubles. But it's all about the words of Jesus being lived out. Just as I have loved you, so you must love each other. Do you think that would make your marriage a little better if you did it? Yeah, I think so too. And that's what I want to talk about for just a moment. Think about how Jesus loved you. Jesus loved you by meeting your deepest needs. Think about it. Jesus saw that you had a need to be able to live a life of purpose. And so he came on the scene and entered the time and space continuum and gave you the opportunity to live your life differently and live your life on a kingdom mission. He said, come and I'm going to make you fishers of men. Come and join me on my mission to seek and save the lost. And Jesus answered one of your deepest needs, which is to be able to live your life with purpose by giving you his very own mission to be yours as well. That was love, that he would meet that need. Jesus loved you by meeting your need for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus saw that you needed your sin to be forgiven, that you couldn't fix it yourself, that it needed to be washed away from you, and that only his perfection could ever come and cover your sin. And so Jesus loved you by meeting your need for the forgiveness of your sins, by paying the price for them when he died on the cross. Jesus knew that you had a need to be able to live your here and now life with power from on high. 
And so Jesus met that need, and he loved you by meeting that need, by saying, I'm going to the Father so that I can send the Spirit who will then be in you, the Spirit that will give you overcoming, victorious strength from within. And he loved you by meeting your deepest needs. And I could go on, but maybe somebody right now should say amen to the way Jesus has loved you, you know? Okay, thank you. This one, there's one brother right here who's willing to, one sister's clapping with me. Thank you. That's right. You and me. We love Jesus, and we get that he loved us deeply. He loved us by meeting our deepest needs. And when we think about loving well in the context of our marriage, I think we do need to take our cue from Jesus, who said, this is a new command I'm giving you. Not a suggestion, a command. Love each other, just as I've loved you so you must love each other. And yes, that is meant to show up in our marriages. Love one another just as I've loved you and think about the ways he's loved you and think about the way he went first to meet your deepest needs and take your cue from Jesus to love likewise. Come on, somebody say, I'm gonna love like that. Not a lot of conviction around that statement. What's going on here? I mean, maybe you could could just pray about it and ask God to give you the conviction. But but this is the word of God, and I believe it is meant to be lived out in every context, but especially in our married lives. There's a a book that probably a number of us have read called His Needs, Her Needs by Willard Harley. And in this book, this guy who's a psychologist and studied hundreds of married couples in his research just began to identify the basic needs of couples. And his metaphor that kind of framed the whole book, His Needs, Her Needs, is this idea of the love bank. And that inside of each one of us, there's a a bank, if you will, a love bank. And that every interaction that we have with each other as husbands and wives ends up either making a deposit into the love bank or withdrawal from the love bank. And so when we love each other well, the love bank account balance rises. And when the bank account is high, that love bank account, we feel that our marriage is great. We think about our husband or our wife, and we think, she's amazing. He's great. He's awesome. And that's really what we want, isn't it? Rob Goodlett, isn't that what we want? I need one hearty amen from one brother at least, right? That we we want that love bank level to be rising, and it requires that we learn how to make deposits into it. And it's a choice, and we need to learn to make that choice, and we need to decide we're going to make the most of our marriage with love. And so if you're wondering what this message was about, that's it. Make the most of your marriage with love. And it's not a... Feeling, I mean, the song had it right, more than a feeling, and it better be. And so I want to talk about what it is meant to look like, to love, and to meet one another's needs. And so let me just describe what I think that the marriage relationship needs. First and foremost, it needs lots of affection. That's letter L, lots of affection, Lots of affection. Think about it. When you first met each other, if, if you are married or you've been together, you, you, you couldn't even keep your hands off of each other at the beginning. And, and the holding of the hand and the opening of the door and the smiling at each other and the long, locked, 
gaze into each other's eyes and the special gifts. I mean, you know what's cool is right now, husbands all around this room are putting their arms around their wife, the wise ones anyway. It's great. <laughs> but there, there was something natural in the early stage of the relationship where the affection flowed by God's design. And when that affection flowed, there was a physiological thing that was taking place. Oxytocin was being released, that hormone which creates that physiological experience of love. And what that did was it caused you to be drawn together emotionally. And it was needed at the beginning, but it's needed further down the road just as much. And so it's time again to demonstrate lots of affection. And this would be a biblical thing to do. This is what I read in the scripture in John, or 1 John 3.18. It says, dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show that truth by our actions. And so I think that there's some affection that's needed in more of our marriages. There, there's a, a need for more of those moments of walking up beside her and putting your arm around her and, and rubbing her shoulders. There's a need for more moments where, where you're putting, putting those lips right up against his and, and locking them for a little while. There's a need for more of those moments where a gift is given that wasn't expected. There's a need for more of those moments where you look at him and tell him, you're amazing and I love you. And the, there's a need for the affection to flow. Come on, somebody say Amen. It's needed so that the marriages can be healthy, and it's a demonstration of love so that we go beyond just saying that we love each other, and we do the actions that allow the experience of love to grow inside of her heart and his heart. It's needed. There, some of us right now, the marriage feels so cold, and it might just have to do with this, the need for affection. And some of us are going, yeah, well, I just don't feel, I don't, I don't feel that. Right. Well, don't wait for the feeling. You just go ahead and make a choice. You choose it. I don't know what just happened over there, but it must have been good. You choose it. You don't wait for the feeling. You just choose it. You choose. I'm going to choose to do the things that express and convey affection. I am going to wrap my hand around hers as we walk together. I am going to walk up and put my arms around her. I am going to speak those words of admiration to him. All of that matters is what God intended to be taking place in the marriage. Lots of affection. You know, the, the Guinness Book of World Records has, uh, from time to time, given the, the recognition of the, the longest marriage uh, to certain couples. And it's a bit of a moving target because certain couples have the, you know, the place for a while and then someone else does better. But one of the couples that was in the Guinness Book of World Records for this was uh, the Milfords, Anita and Frank Milford. These sweet people made it 80 years. 80 years. I mean, we don't even know them, and we're clapping for them. I mean, the married people get it. it it's, it's an accomplishment. 80 years together. That's relationship goals right there. And they were interviewed in the Daily Mirror uh, magazine as to, how did you do it? How did you make it 80 years? And they gave just straightforward answers. And they said every night they would hold hands and at least kiss each other. Okay, I added the words, at least. They said every night they would hold hands and kiss each other. And uh, then they said this. They said, our advice for young couples today 
would be to make time for a little romance every day. I mean, out of everything that they could have passed along, this couple made it 80 years, chose to say this. This is what, this is what you've got to find a way to do. A little bit of romance of whatever kind every day. I, I want to hear those words and say, okay, mission accepted. How do I do that? You know? And I got to be the first to admit, I, I didn't come out of the shoot one of the most romantic guys in the world. I, I have to work on that stuff. I have to choose that. I have to be intentional. It doesn't naturally occur to me. It has to, I have to put a reminder on my phone to say, do something romantic. Write her a card. You know? <laughs> I, I need to do that. I'm just like that. I, I need some help. But it's a choice that I've got to make. Because I want to live out uh, the affection, and because what that can then lead to, the affection creates the environment where letter O can happen, and that is ongoing physical intimacy. Every marriage needs ongoing physical intimacy. And actually, there was a different O word that I was going to use there, but I didn't think it was right for the church outline. But, but yeah, that, yeah, ongoing physical intimacy. And what we're really talking about is sex. And this is the part where you're going, oh, he did mean it when he said I should take my seven-year-old out of the room. Yeah, because sex is something that the Bible speaks about without any shame. The Bible speaks about sex with an openness, a, trans a transparency, a straightforwardness, because it's not taboo. God's not embarrassed about sex. It's not like Adam and Eve came out from behind the bushes all hot and sweaty going, God, you'll never guess what we just invented. <laughs> His idea. He brought this idea to humans. And it matters in the marriage. It matters so much in the marriage. And, and you know what? When I sit down with couples to do marriage counseling, invariably, what I will ask at some point probably early in the conversation, is when's the last time you've had sex together? And then how frequently are you having sex? I, I just need to know. And I need to know because I consider it an important part of shepherding a couple who's married because there's a lot in the scriptures about it. Let me just take you to one of these places in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is talking about sex generally and sexuality and then gets very specific. And it just says it like this. It says, point blank, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. And the, where was my amen on that one? I mean, that... <laughs> And then the wife should fulfill. People know what's good for them at this point. It's getting a little quiet. But, but the, wife, the husband should fulfill the wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations. Do you hear the word of God? It, it is the word of God, and it is vital. Do not I really do believe somebody needs to hear this as God's word today, because that's exactly what it is. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time. <laughs> for a limited time. So you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. I've never heard a couple say, yeah, we've, we've decided to stop having sex because we want to pray more. I've <laughs> I have not heard that one. <laughs> Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you. 
because of your lack of self-control. I hope you can hear what the scriptures are indicating, that a lack of ongoing physical intimacy, to use our polite church term, the lack of sexual fulfillment leaves one or both open to an outright satanic attack. Did you hear it? I mean, that's God just saying, I'm your dad, I'm your father, and I want you protected. And this is one of the ways you're going to provide protection for each other. And in most marriages, it just tends to be the case that one or the other has a greater need for sexual fulfillment. And I would argue that the person with the greater need is the one to be deferred to because the alternative is to leave the one with the greater need open and vulnerable to satanic attack. And God was clear with us, don't do it. Don't deprive each other of sexual relations. It, it is so pivotal that we grab this word of God and say, okay, I, I got to live this out. I want to live this out. Now, here's the backstory, though. For some of us, we've come through some real difficulties in our life, and we've lived through some damaging moments, especially with regard to our sexuality, and it makes it very difficult to even hear these words, let alone live them out. I want to pray for you for healing. I want to plead with you that you would find the healing. Come and get a, a freedom prayer session where we can begin to pray for the blood of Jesus to come and heal the broken places inside of you. Find the therapist or the counselor that can also come alongside and lead you into a, a, a healing that God could do to make you whole so that you can bring the whole you to a willingness to engage in that ongoing physical intimacy because it matters. It matters like nobody's business. There are so many marriages where right now, one or the other is just, oh, just living with a sense of frustration and almost resentment because there's a need and it isn't being met and it's causing a coldness and it needs to change. And I'm urging you to find the healing so that God can bring the breakthrough through ongoing physical intimacy. The truth is, you are your spouse's only legitimate source for sexual fulfillment. That's just the biblical view of, of sexuality, is that you're the only legitimate source for fulfillment of the sexual need. Other needs can find fulfillment in other ways. Uh, one could do one's own laundry, one can cook one's own dinner, one could clean one's own room, and on and on we go. But there's one thing that one cannot find real legitimate fulfillment for themselves. It needs to come from the spouse. And take to, to heart God's word and see if loving the way Jesus did by meeting the deepest needs won't improve the situation. Okay, and then letter E, what we, we, or sorry, letter V, is we need visible respect. Visible respect needs to be part of the fiber of the marriage. Visible respect. Respect that's demonstrated and seen and felt. Respect that comes through and that leaves the other knowing that they're valued and honored. Respect has to be, has to be spoken or seen or demonstrated. Ephesians 5.33 says this. It says, again, I, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. And, and it's God saying there's just this deep need, a deep need to be respected. And it has to be shown. It has to be communicated. I'm so grateful that I have a wife who uh, very frequently 
unsolicited, will just say to me things like, I'm so glad that I'm married to you. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of who you are. You're such a hard worker. You work so hard for our family, and I'm so grateful for you being the kind of man that you are. I'm, I'm grateful that you're my husband and that I'm married to you. I mean, do you know what that does to a dude like me? That makes me go, hmm, I could take on the world, you know, and, and, I, and I love you, you know, and I wish I could tell you that, yeah, but I, I say that to her just as much. I do, it's just that I usually say it right after she says it to me. <laughs> like, oh, oh yeah, you, you too, you too. <laughs> I'm working on it, I'm working on it. But that visible respect is needed. It's so needed, and don't think that it's just a man's need. It's just as much a woman's need. In fact, this is what the scripture says in 1 Peter 3, verse 7. It says, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are. May. <laughs> she may be weaker than you are. But she's your equal partner. Somebody say equal partner. Equal. She's your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. I didn't know that there was anything that could ever get in the way of my relationship with God, but then I read the Bible, and I found out that he has the heart of a daddy for his girl. And he says, yeah, oh, no. If you're going to be treating her like that, no. Uh-uh. Yes, if we treat our wives with dishonor and disrespect, our Father in heaven, he's not having it. And so we do need to take his word to heart and bring the visible respect. And then, letter E, every marriage needs some expectation adjustment. Expectation adjustment. Expectations are powerful. Expectations set the direction for what we are going to hope for or what we're going to experience despair over expectations are powerful. And in, in my role as a pastor, I have the privilege of standing with a lot of couples on that beautiful day, like this beautiful day right here. I, I'm standing there with this couple, and uh, they look their best, and it's an amazing experience. And on, on that day, in those moments, and I've seen it now hundreds of times, they're looking into each other's eyes, and you know what they're thinking? They're looking into each other's eyes, and they're thinking to themselves, this is the person that's going to make all my dreams come true. No pressure. <laughs> this is the person that's going to meet all of my needs. This is the person that I have all of these expectations for. Some of them I've spoken about. A lot of them I haven't even given voice to, but they better meet them. <laughs> I mean, they don't say that on their wedding day. And in fact, usually I sit with a couple like this a month before or couple months before and talk about the upcoming married life and we talk about things like finances and fighting and communication and family of origin, you know, the basic stuff and the premarital deal and almost all the time the young couple says something like, oh, we're never going to have any problems with fighting or communications or finances because she's perfect and he's perfect. That's for other people. <laughs> and then because I've been doing this for a while, I also know what it's like to sit with that same couple five years later. And they're like this. 
And almost every time, it's because of expectations. Expectations that they both have that aren't being met. And in many instances, an inability to communicate about that. But the expectations have to be adjusted. They really do. I remember a season about eight or nine years ago where I just distinctly remember the moment, sitting in our, in our bedroom upstairs, and Ann and I were, had had one of those months or so where things were just so hard, many months, actually. And we had this conversation in which she said to me, you know what, I've just decided that I have these expectations that I just need to let go of because I, I can't keep holding them over your head. There was a part of me, if I'm honest, when I heard that, it felt like a gut punch, almost like a, you're not good enough, so I have to lower the bar. <laughs> but that's not what she meant at all. She literally just meant, I, I've had expectations that they're just unrealistic, and I need to let them go. And I'm so grateful for th that moment and for what it has led to. It's led to more freedom for both of us, freedom that allows us to then grow to become better because the pressure is relieved. And I'm not saying, yep, we had that expectation adjustment moment nine years ago, and we finished that, and everything's perfect. <laughs> no, expectation adjustment is an ongoing thing. I mean, in different seasons, our needs and expectations change, and we come back to the table and talk more clearly about them and adjust accordingly, uh, according to the needs. But it's got to happen. An expectation adjustment is needed if the marriage is really going to make it. And to adjust the expectations is to live out the word of God. First Peter chapter 3, we had just read what it said about husbands needing to honor the wives. But then in verse 8, it said this. It said, finally, all of you should be of one mind. And to be of one mind in a marriage is to really recognize it's true. We're one flesh. And so your needs are my needs. What you need is as though it were my need as well. That's needed in marriages. Rather than leaving the other out to dry, that's what you need. I don't care. But instead, to be of one mind in the marriage, to say, I, I, I get that your need is real, and it's as though it were my need. Because the scripture goes on and says, sympathize with each other. And to sympathize would be to almost feel the need like it really were your very own. It, to feel the need like as though it were your very own, because it is. From an eternal perspective, you're one flesh. And so you're meant to sympathize with one another, to know one another's needs as your very own, and then love each other as brothers and sisters and be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. If you're tender-hearted, you go, oh, that's a need that he has. I'm the only person who should be meeting that need. Let me go for it. To, to, to be tenderhearted would be to say, she has a need. I'm on assignment, really, from God to be the one to meet that need. Let me go for it. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you to keep the humble attitude that is required for a marriage to actually be full of love. The humble attitude that departs from the tendency of selfishness, because that's there, isn't it? And a humble attitude that steps back into the Jesus posture of saying, I, I want to love the way Jesus did. And to then do what God leads you to do.
knowing that there is a future that could be made glorious, if you would. Okay, so I, I introduced you to the Milfords, Frank and Anita, and they lost the Guinness Book of World Records uh, status for the longest marriage because of this couple right here. This is Herbert and Zelmira Fisher. 86 years. Come on, 86. I clap for them. I don't even know them, but I will clap for them. But Herbert and Zelmira made it 86 years, and it's, it's amazing, but they were also interviewed. How did you do it? How'd you make it 86 years in your marriage? And this is what uh, they said. Their advice was, remember that marriage is not a contest. Never keep a score. God has put the two of you together on the same team to win, and marriage is a commitment to the Lord. So Pray for each other every day. Respect, support, and communicate with each other. Be faithful, honest, and true to each other. And love each other with all your heart. Love each other with all your heart. And maybe if we would take advice like that and put into practice the words of Jesus who said, just as I have loved you, so you must love each other. Maybe those could be our hands after our 80 or 86 years with a testimony of all that those hands still clasped really means. All the overcoming, all of the moments of God yet again filling our hearts with love for each other, all the moments of forgiving yet again the ways that we did do each other wrong, all the moments where we chose to let lots of affection come through again, all of the moments where we did give the visible respect that the other needed, all of those moments where we engaged in an expectation adjustment, all of those moments of ongoing physical intimacy that created that sense of warmth and connection that can't be fabricated or counterfeited. That's what we're made for. But it's all about coming to the source, isn't it? So Jesus said in John 13, 34, why don't you read the words of Jesus from John 13, 34 with me from the screen one more time. Ready, go. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And so we're going to take it to heart. But in order to do this, you know what we need most of all? We need to be individual people who know how to go to the source himself. Jesus, the unfailing one. Jesus, the one who never fails us and never forsakes us. Jesus, the one who poured out his life for us. We need to be people who know how to go to the well and drop the bucket in and pull it up full and drench ourselves with that love of Jesus and fill ourselves with that love of Jesus so we can take that and then give that to her and take that and then give that to him, whether we were feeling it or not because we're filled with it. Are you with me? Whether we were feeling it or not, because we're filled with it. That's what's needed. So I want us to take a moment and pray for our marriages right now. Some of us were married. Some of you, you're not married, and, and it's time to make things right. You need to either separate or do the right thing and put a ring on it. I'm telling you, for somebody, you need to do that. It's, it's, it's God's daughter. It's God's son. And, and he wants his kids to be treated right. And so somebody, it's time. It's time to quit playing games and being childish about it. It's time to step up. Others, it's time to then let it go if you're not going to do that. 
But if you're married, let's pray over the marriages right now. Let's take a moment and pray. God, I pray for every single one of us who's married (laughs) that you would allow your supernatural love to rise up within us. I do pray, God, right now for healing. Where there has been harm done to one another in our marriages, where we've let each other down, I plead the blood of Jesus Christ over every marriage, for every broken place. I plead the blood of Jesus to come and fill and mend every broken place in every marriage. You better hold her hand right now. You better put your arm around him. I plead the blood of Jesus over every marriage so that there would be an infusion of mercy and forgiveness and new affection. I plead the blood of Jesus over every marriage so that there would be more protection, more coming together, more joining and being of one mind. I plead the blood of Jesus over every marriage so that there would be more and more of a dissipation of selfishness and an uprising of beautiful, holy, God-honoring love, supernatural love, Jesus-like love, a love that would say, I'll lay my life down, a love that would say, I will forgive, a love that would say, I will give you my heart. I plead the blood of Jesus over every marriage that has gotten a little numb and cold. And I plead the blood of Jesus to come in such a way that now a fire would erupt in the marriage. That there would be a supernatural surge of seeing him like you did 30 years ago. Of seeing her like you did when you first met. Supernaturally, right now. Maybe even for somebody while we're praying. Just imagine that moment when you first met, feelings you had, (laughs) the look in in, in her eyes and in his eyes. Just get in touch with that for a second. It just may be that God might have been at work in that. And maybe you need to sync up again with the good things that God had in mind. For somebody else, it's hard to do this because of the painful things that have happened through the years. But nothing is impossible with our God. It's time for somebody else. You got to go to the well of Jesus right now and, and draw up a bucket of the love of Jesus. And this is what I see in the spirit. Literally, I see this spiritually as you dropping a bucket into the well and you take it up and you just pour it over yourself and it's the love of Jesus and it's washing away all the crud from the things that have happened that weren't right. It's a purifying love though, this love of Jesus. It's able to make new and refresh in ways that are desperately needed. And he is able. He is able. He's the one who says, I I make all things beautiful in my time. I think he wants to do that for somebody's marriage right now believe him for it, that he could really do that? He could make it beautiful in his time? I believe he can. I believe he's looking for you to say, and I I believe it too. And I'm going to do what I can to make myself available to the love of Jesus flowing through me to her. To make myself available for the love of Jesus to flow through me to him. So God, bring your healing touch to every marriage that needs it. God, I pray for right now an infusion of hope for the future. While we're praying, listen, I showed you a couple of of couples that made it 80 and 86 years because I want us to be able to have a sense of vision for making it. And just decide right now, 
we're going to make it. Just decide. We're going to make it. God comes when we decide with faith. You know? he, he responds to the, the faith posture of his sons and daughters. Just say together, we're going to make it. Maybe even you're, we're praying together, but if you're with your spouse, you just whisper in each other's ear, just say, we're going we're to make it. We're going to make it. Say it to each other right now. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. Say it with a little bit of faith. Come on, we're going to make it. Thank you, Lord. I want to shift gears a little bit and pray for someone else. Truth is, you're here today, and the whole marriage thing isn't even where you are right now, but you need to hear this. Jesus loves you, and his love is present in this place to heal you. And here's the word that I hear in the spirit right now for somebody, that God is able to heal you, and you will be able to love again. Like you need to receive that by faith and maybe even repent of vows that you've made where you've said, I'll never love again. I can't, I'll never open my heart to somebody again. You've said some things like that and I think God wants you to be free. And so you might even right now need to repent of that and say, I repent of making a vow like that. My God can do anything. And maybe you receive the word I just shared. God saying, you will be able to love again. You will be able to. Somebody else, here's what I want you to hear. God loves you with such an unfailing love that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to pay the ultimate price through his death on the cross so that you could be forgiven. And his gift of forgiveness is available to whoever turns to him and believes in him. It's a gift. A gift has to at some point be received. And so for somebody today, the truth is you don't know where you stand with God. You can know that you stand right with God the minute you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, but you want to know that you're right with God, you want to know that you're forgiven of all your sins, you want to know that you have a home forever in heaven, if that's you and you would say, I want to do that, I want to ask Jesus to forgive me and to save my life, then right now I want you to just raise your hand. It just raise your hand as a way of saying, that's me. I need to give my life to Jesus and ask for his forgiveness of my sins. I want to be right with God. Just raise your hand and make it known in the back. That's great. I don't want to miss you right over here in the middle. Also you and you. Thank you. That's so good. Right over here. That's great. Right over here on the side. Several of you I've just connected with. Now you pray. You just say something like this. You say, Jesus, I give you my life. I put my trust in you. I'm turning from sin and Jesus, I'm turning to you. And just start real simple and say, Jesus Christ, I believe in you. Just say it. Jesus Christ, I believe in you. You are my savior. You are my Lord. You paid the price for me. You went to the cross for me. Just say, Jesus, I believe in you. You rose from the dead so that you could give me new life. Just say it, Jesus, I believe in you. And I want you to be my Lord and my savior from this moment on. In Jesus' name, and everybody say together, amen. 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 Won't you stand up?